a different kind of smoking of weed, but I might, yeah, do you mind? No. It's a vapor. It's not going to, like, cloud up the house. Not at all. I just recorded that. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's legal, so it's not like I'm committing a crime. You know? I even have a pot doctor thing, and I'm yeah. sober. Well, if you have, you know, if you get your little fake medical marijuana card. Yeah. You know, you stroll into the little doctor, right? You, you sort of, you know, you... you you know, you kind of limp a little bit. Yeah. You know, and you're, What's wrong? Well, my sciatic and nerve. Like, what else? And then you start twitching your right eye. Right? <laughs> it's like, oh, you know what's wrong? I don't know. I got home. Well, yeah. You need medical marijuana, sir. And you go, thank you, sciatic. Oh, it's not that difficult. And then you have, and then you get your card. And then so now, in Venice Beach, they have this uh, online company called Greenly.com. Uh-huh. I should be getting an endorsement for them from them for plugging them well you should try to do that they should send you a little cushion in the mail <clears throat> they basically um you can go on their website and i'll show it to you it's it's magical and they you can get vapor edibles really good sticky cannabinoids like, as well if you're interested yeah, in that flowers mm-hmm. um and it's you know sativa and indica and they kind of break it all down and how much it is and then you just push click you don't even they you, you pay for it on the spot so they just, you know, it's, I guess, however, you know, they have their little iPhone with their little square and they swipe your credit card or they take cash and it's a little bag and it's perfect. It's like Domino's pizza for weed. They deliver it. They deliver it right here to my front door. That is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. It's, it's the future. It's science fiction <laughs> is what well, it is. Well, it's so funny because I'm 44 and I remember at Dublin's yeah. back almost 20 some years ago, I remember doing a joke. Which never really worked. It was more of a premise <laughs> about how cool would it be if you can just walk into a store and be like, "Yeah, can I get a carton of your Indica 500s?" You know, or like whatever, and you just buy it right there. And, and it's it was, it was such a and it's happening. It was such a secret crime for so many years, and now it's like people are just. I mean, you walk around my neighborhood; the whole neighborhood smells like weed. And just to clarify, I am in Venice, California yes. with Ahmed Ahmed. Yes, we can't disclose my exact address because then I would have to move. Yes, because all of the crazies would come. The crazy. Well, there's enough crazies around here, but we don't, oh. want, we don't want more. I don't miss the crazies. I used to live in Marina del Rey and yeah, even walking nice. around here, it's lovely, but walking around here just reminds me what I don't miss because right. some of the guys I actually recognize. Oh, there's the guy with right. like the leg weights right. or the other. Yeah. Well, from here... Uh, north, mm-hmm. it's it's that, but from here south, it's Marina del Rey, and it's nicer, and it's, it's more. So I'm like right on the, you know, edge of it. So I can kind of dabble into the craziness, but get away from it if I want to. It's You're perfect. on the cusp of crazy. I'm on the cusp of I'm bipolar, just like who you are, just like who I am. I'm two people <laughs> bipolar. So I um, have known you for years, fifteen years or something yeah. like that, and it's been almost 90s. that long since mm-hmm. I've seen you, and you've done so well. Thanks. Yeah. I, I mean, mean I'm, I'm trying. You're doing fantastically well. I mean, you have the Wild West thing. Uh, Vince Vaughn's Wild West Comedy Show, which he was kind enough to not only put me on, but uh, <clears throat> asked my advice as to who should come on, on the tour. So you helped pick the comics? Well, I just gave him a list, and he had seen uh, Sebastian, John Caparello, and Brett Ernst. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, well, since I've seen them and I think they're funny... Let's just go with those guys. He didn't really... Right. Was, he didn't it, investigate further. He could have, but it was more of like a time thing. Like, we, he, he, we, 12 days later, we were on the road with him. It was one of those quick decisions. And he just said, look, get the strongest guys. Who's going to kill across America? 
And I said at the time, I said, for sure, John Caparillo is a surefire hit. Uh-huh. And, you know, during the show, he would go up in the middle in the sweet spot and just murder every time. He was a hard guy to tour with, though, because, you know, he was just sort of a high-maintenance, miserable, kind of bitter human being. That's so unusual for a comedian. <laughs> well, especially him. Um, and then Sebastian and Brett and I would always, you know, kind of swap and trade um, spots, opening, closing, and what have you. But, uh, but yeah, so Vince... Um, we, you know, took us on this tour around America. We were performing in front of like 3,000, 4,000 people every nice. night. Nice. So that was cool because that was like, it was the, sort of the first time I had done that back to back for 30 mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. I, I'd done it a couple times here and there, but to do it every night, and this was right after Wedding Crashers came out. So he was, you know, worldwide A-list movie star, movie made 200. It was like a sort of hangover phenomenon. And so... He barely advertised the shows, but a couple thousand people came out every night. So um, that was cool. It was kind of like a circus on wheels. Yeah. You know, we'd go from city to city and then go to the next city in the middle of the night. It was pretty crazy. I would do it again, but it was pretty insane. I've I've done tours like that before in the Middle East. We did Access of Evil in the Middle East. Yes, I heard about that. Now, was that... Um Is that the one with one Jew, one Arab? No, you're not going to take a Jew to the Middle East. No, I would, depending on the country and the uh -huh. climate. No, access. I'll, I'll get to actually one Jew. Well, I'll just tell you one Jew, one Arab. It's one Arab, one Jew, one stage. Two very funny guys. Or we've been calling it Laugh in Peace. And that's a that's it's a, a rabbi, rabbi comic. Yeah, he, he's turning seventy tomorrow, I think, or in two days. Oh, and he's a reform rabbi who was was uh, you know <clears throat> preaching his sermon for fourteen, fifteen years, and he got sick of the rabbinical business, and and but realized through his sermons he would always use humor and make people laugh. So he decided. Why not just take my act on the road? So he converted and he went back to all the synagogues he preached in and would come back as a stand-up comic and made a killing. So in, in after um, 2000, I think one or two. By the way, that's such a Jewish thing. Oh, I know. To figure out how to make a dollar. Oh, it's well, well here's the thing. He, 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 told, he told his agents, he told his publicist, how can I raise my awareness? And she said, why don't you team up with an Arab comedian? And he said, do you have any other ideas? <laughs> yeah. She's like, no, 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 try it. I think it would be a good thing. So anyway, he found me. She found me online. We had a discussion. He told me what he did and he, what he wanted me to do. And I was like, synagogues? Uh, He's like, there's a synagogue tour out there? Who knew? Who would have known? And I should know that. Anyway, for the next like four or five years on and off, I went on the road with him and made hundreds of thousands of dollars. Doing stand-up comedy in synagogues. Can I get in on this racket? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I got so much Jew shit. We just did a show last night in uh, San Diego, and uh, it was like 40 to 90-year-old Jews, mostly older women, a lot of, you know, and they... Altacockers, we call it. They laugh, like, incredibly hard, and it was really a cross-cultural <laughs> sort of, you know, peace handshake gesture with comedy, because the whole idea of the show is... Laugh in peace. He's a you know he's a Jew. I'm a Muslim. Yeah, we're still making people laugh regardless of our upbringing, belief, culture, and what have you. So you're doing God's work, Ahmed. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I think being uh, slightly sarcastic. No, but no, still. no, 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 no. I, I mean, look, no, but still, I, I think that's really important. He, he, I actually he has do. a quote where he says, "You you can't hate anybody with whom you've laughed." You know, it's like sharing food or music. It's like when you're doing a communal thing. You can't really hate the person next to you when you're laughing at the same thing. There's a common denominator. There's a common unity. It's know? almost like you can't hate someone you fucked. 
Except well, I fucked people who made me hate the entire race yeah. afterwards. Right, right, right. Well, I was going to say that's not true, but I understand. No, but you'd think that, that it would be easier to love somebody that you'd slept with, but no. But laughing about with somebody, that's true. That does breed the love so. forever. I mean, if you look at the, the comedy store or any of the comedy clubs, for that matter, around yeah. town, all comedians that hang out that are friends are white, black, Mexican, Indian, Arab. Like, that would never happen in a, you know normal workplace, I, you know, that was, like, sort of too homogenized. And also women and men, too. Even There's women that. and men, you yeah. have gay, you have, yeah. you know, different, like, people of different, like, weight, cla- <laughs> weight classes, like, people obesity, you know, yeah. a lot of comedians are obese, and they're that, they're accepted. It's like, you know, the great thing about comedy is the the people, the thing that people, the thing that comedians love and respect the most about other comedians, doesn't matter what your beliefs are, doesn't matter how, what you look like, it doesn't matter, you know... Even if you're a good or bad person, oftentimes, are you funny? Yeah. If you're funny, you gain so much respect from the comedy community. They can go, you know what? That guy's such a dick, but fuck, he's hilarious. Yeah. And I've said that about people before, and I'm sure people have never said that about me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just remembered something that uh, totally random was we were performing at the Belly Room, and it's actually one of the last gigs I did before I took a 10-year hiatus, a short 10-year hiatus from stand-up comedy. Um, is that someone got in a fight with you about something that you said on stage and there was practically like a riot. Yeah, I remember that. I was actually telling that story the other day to somebody. It was after 9-11. I was on stage. And it was actually during, um, it was right when we invaded Iraq. Oh. And, and there was a guy, I was, about, I was about seven minutes into my set and I was having a really good time. And everybody was laughing. And then some guy from the back of the room yelled out, go back to your country. Oh, <gasps> that's and, right. And I said, I go, huh? And he goes, you heard me go back to your fucking country. Uh, but I, you were just like, yeah, you want to go motherfucker? No, well, like, not, at, not at first. Okay. Not, not at first. I remember being like, ha ha ha. He goes, uh, you know, I remember I, he, I think he either, he either used the word camel jockey, but eventually he used the word sand nigger. And that's when I, that's when I go, ha ha ha. Like I've never heard that one before. Uh-huh. And the audience was kind of laughing with me. Then it got uncomfortable. And then oh, yeah. what made me snap was I said, hey, man, um, I can't remember what I said, but I said something like to the effect of, you know, nobody cares what you have to say. Why don't you just shut the fuck up or something? Yeah, like that. that's right. Because we don't run out from the dressing room said, by then. And yeah. then he said, uh, I'll kick your ass. And, oh, and that's then, right. And then I said, Make me, and I dropped the microphone, <laughs> and, I, and I walked out. I walked. Remember, I walked into the audience. Oh, yes. Glasses were getting knocked over, and people were like, "Whoa!" It was all mayhem. And I walked right up to him, and I remember I walked up to him, and I go, "Make me." I was so angry because he was so fucking racist. And I remember him standing up, and I was like, <laughs> he was like three or four inches taller than me. And, I, and in my head, my first instinct was like, oh, shit, I picked the wrong fight with the wrong guy. And then a part of me was just like, you know, you open the door, you better fucking walk through it. You know, you got a lot of people around you. You're going to, you know, you got to do something. Men are so funny. Can I just tell you? Men I just are was so, hilarious. You know what it was? It was, I, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the lesson I learned after that. Mm-hmm. Is so, I remember saying to him, 
I'm a resident comic here. I don't want to. I don't want to mess this place up. Let's go outside or whatever. It was like real like cowboy shit. Man. And he was like, oh, and everybody kind of like went down the stairs. Yeah, it was like a mob. It was like, like a flash mob. Oh yeah, it was a flash mob. And Rumble yeah. and Jungle, George Foreman, Ali. Yeah. Oh, and he was like, I'm gonna. And we remember we got down to the patio, and everybody kind of fanned out. And I'll never forget it. And tell me if you remember this. We were about to square square off, and. Uh, four or five comedians lined up in front of me like the fucking Seven Samurai. It was Mike Young, Steve Ranazizi, Mike Faverman, Bobby Lee. I'll never forget it. And there was one other guy. I want to say maybe it was Johnny Sanchez or not Johnny. But I know for sure it was those, those four guys. Uh-huh. Literally rolling up their sleeves, turning their hats on backwards. <laughs> like, like straight out of like West Side Story. Like... <laughs> Hey, man, you're not allowed on this uh, territory anymore. And the guy was like, what? Fuck you. And they were like, dude, we'll just beat the shit out of you. So walk, you know, get away from here. Because the comedy store is like, you know, the comics there. Speaking of the Wild West. Well, no, the comedy comedy store feels a little like the Wild West. The comedy store is the only club in America that the inmates run the joint. Yeah. It's an insane asylum. Everybody's either been arrested or in fights or had something bad happen to them. Like. No joke. Like that's I, I said, why I feel so at home there. Well, that's why most comics who have broken past or things that have happened to them feel comfortable there. They're all roughhousers. Even the women, they're just, it's a yeah. very rough environment. Like yeah. you have to be able to you know, roar with hold the your own. hold your own in there. And so there is a sort of jail-like mentality. <laughs> and so they fanned out and they got in front of me and I was, and you know, it was right out of a movie, but I was, from a comedic standpoint, I was like, uh, guys, I can handle this. <laughs> I got this, you know, I, 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 I picked it with me and they were just like, no, 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 man. Like, you know. We got you, bro. No, it was a cool, like fraternity. It was a, it was yeah. a pr- protection, I guess. And, yeah. I, and I felt, that's when I felt like I belong there because most people just wouldn't do that. Just put their lives on the line to protect you. This guy was six foot five, probably 240 pounds. He most likely would have pounded me, but I would have, you know. Mixed. I don't know though. Mm, you got a fair bit of rage inside you, Ahmed. I think I, you could have. I no, well, that's not true. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I'm not saying you're not nice. I just have a side. I'm just to me. saying I saw the side to you. I have night. a side to me when I just hit my limit. Yeah. I just go. You know what? Enough's enough. Have you seen the movie The Equalizer? Yeah. No, no. I saw with, the original series. Denzel, I haven't seen the Denzel one. The yet. one that the way they shot it oh, was. I was sitting with, watching it with a friend of mine, and the way they shot it was. The director, not to ruin the movie, but every time Denzel gets in a fight with somebody, he tries not to fight, but then he hits a point where he goes, fuck it, and the camera zooms in on his eyeball, and then it inverts and has his point of view, and it's slow motion, like how he's going to fuck everybody up in Uh his head, and then it zooms back to his eyeball and back to his face, and he clicks the stopwatch, and then in slow motion, he just goes and fucks everybody up, Matrix style. Right. Rapid shit. It's like really classic. Uh Uh-huh. And, um... And that's I, you. Sometimes I feel like that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when I look at somebody, I'm like, are you serious? And I just like lock in and I'm just like, I just, you know, and I shouldn't be. It's a bad quality. I'm not saying it's good. It's something I'm working on. I've been going, <laughs> I'm going to therapy. <laughs> I have. I'm, tr- I'm trying to. I'm, I'm proud de- of you, honey. My therapist said, you need to learn how to de-escalate a situation. <laughs> so I'm de-escalating these days. Sometimes when people just get me all riled up, I go, I want to de-escalate. <laughs> and I just walk away. And I just de-escalate. I go sit in the corner and I take like deep breaths and I go, it's a pride thing. It's a man. It's Arab. It's being the oldest son. It's having your father give you pressure. It's all that shit from my past childhood. That's that, that 
you know, and then just growing up being Arab in America, there's a lot of resentment and, uh, you know, discrimination and hate. And even after 9-11, there was on steroids, you know, and all the arrests and the detain. Like, I went through a lot of psychological horseshit traveling around as a comic for 10 years with my name. So, um, But you know what I'm finding out in therapy, and I've done decades of therapy, um, is that some of that is actually original trauma that's just re-triggered. Yeah. Like when you have that response, I always used to think that was an anger response or a rage response. And mm -hmm. I was just like, well, I'm just ragey. You know, I'm a redhead. Right. I got rage. Right. But now what I'm finding out is it's actually a, a fight response, like fight or flight, like lizard brain. And it has to do with having some kind of trauma and some point you couldn't fight. Mm -hmm. And that fight gets triggered. It's tripped like a wire. Mm -hmm. And then... If you work through the original trauma, then it becomes a lot easier to de-escalate. That's what I... <clears throat> I feel like we're in a therapy session now. That's the idea. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I realized. is, And the therapist I was talking to helped me peel back all the layers as to why I attract a certain type of girl or why I might react What kind of girl do you attract? Now I, I need to know. I love train wrecks. <laughs> There's nothing more fun than a train wreck. Nothing more sexy than a. But there's nothing more bucket. worse than a train wreck. Like, yeah. like they're not very. You, you know, you can be compatible. The, the sex can be great. You can have fun and you know hold hands and skip around life together. But at the core of it all, when the certain morals and values and 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 beliefs are missing, that's when that's when the friction happens and that's when the egos get in the way and that's when shit goes down. And depending on their background, which normally. The girls in the past that I've attracted, some of them came from good families. Most of them came from really fucked up families. Yeah. But <clears throat> my thing was the reason I attracted them was because, and they always had some sort of, they were always girls who never had shit going on in their lives. They were always like sort of like lazy. I want to do this. I'm going to do that. The golden egg's going to hit me on the head any day. And I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. You need to get up and do the you know, active things in life and apply yourself and manifest it. And, you know, there was a sort of arrogance and entitlement about it. And I was like, whatever. And that's the sort of headbutt, <clears throat> you know, friction that was happening in relationships. Because I like to get up and make yeah. the most of my day. And I'm a, you know, I go and, you know, I'm a go-getter. Yeah. And so laziness makes me resent people. Right. And it makes you lose respect. Yeah. Which, yeah, which leads to resent, resentment. Mm. So... So there's that element, and I grew up with four sisters and my mother in a very loud Egyptian household, and my sisters, you know, it was loud every day in our house, four always bitching about, you know, you took my thing, where's my lipstick, and the bathroom door shutting, and get out of the bathroom, and just a lot of screaming and yelling and drama going on in my house, and then... Um, Especially once a month, when they all synchronized. Oh, it's cuckoo. Yeah. My dad and I, I used to... Like, spend the night at my buddy's house for three, four days when that was going on. Seriously, that's not even a joke. My dad would be in the kitchen be like, shh, shh, it's the time of the month. Do you want some tea? Be quiet. Yeah, my ex-husband would be like, just tell me when to get the fuck just out of town. Just tell me when to get out, yeah. So, um, so the drama in my house around women made me comfortable so that's what I kind of seek out is I'm comfortable with women who 
not necessarily drama, but just have like a spark or, you know, buzziness about them. Yeah. Girls that can't stay still. Yeah. Girls, Except yeah. when it comes to pursuing their careers and then they stay very still. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because my sisters aren't like that. But then here comes the father side of me. My father used to always say as a child, you need to take care of your mother and sisters. What if I die tomorrow? So you're a rescuer. Yeah, there's that. So that's that recipe is, uh-huh. is for a disaster, right? <laughs> Trying to rescue a, a girl that's dramatic. It's, it's a fucking, you know, it's, it's a storyline for a sitcom. Ask right? my ex-husband. He tried it. Really? Didn't work? Well, no, it worked for at least 10 years. Right. You know, I really did genuinely... And you have two, two kids? Yes, um, two kids. And They're nine Barry. and ten. Yes. And, um, and what was the, if you don't mind me asking or being personal, what was no, the ultimate... I may edit it out. Huh? That's my kids. Oh, wow. They're all grown up. Yeah. Well, they're nine and ten, but they're very large and grown up looking. They, the one on the left looks exactly like Barry. That's funny because that's the one, one that looks more like me. But really? everybody picture, sees it maybe. differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're good looking kids. So yes, at least you got thank something good you. out of it. Yeah. Well, more than that. I got yeah. more than that. But, I mean, the problem with somebody rescuing you is that that's not how life works. Right. If you don't learn how to be your own container... If you have issues, problems, trauma, attachment issues, you can't, someone else can't be your container. They right. can for a while, and then it's just going to go well, us over to It ends up being a codependent relationship. Yes. And, so, and, and then that's when more resent comes, resentment comes in. And How long has your longest relationship been? what I ask all the macho comedians. We're going to get down oh, to the I real macho? shit. Really? Am I macho? No, but men who are comics, it's like a... There's um, a thing. I don't think you're macho. I think you're very in touch with your female side, but I think yeah. you're like very... Alpha? Let's say alpha. That is what I'm getting at. It's like when I go to these, some of these open mics, I'm going to tell you honestly, these guys start talking, these young guys, and I go, oh, he's gay. He's a gay comic. And then they go, my girlfriend. Happens over and over again. And I go... Oh, okay. Either he doesn't know he's gay or that's not what I see like a man. You know, a man to me, it's like it's a man. Well, these days, all these comics are like alt, you know, (laughs) hipsters and tight jeans and skinny. It's just like, come on. What happened to man? It's not even the presentation. (laughs) I don't mind a manly man in some tight jeans. Right. But it's like, there's just like a... You know, it's like that thing where you're on stage and someone fucks with you and you're just like, you want to go? I mean, I'm not saying that right. that's like an idea. Oh, by the way, to go back to that, yes, I, I forgot to put my button on that story. Go. Uh, he, the guy, um, he, the guy was kind of like whisked away by Favorman and Bobby Lee and Mike and uh, Mike Young and Steve Ranazizi. It kind of pushed back. We were kind of like Bobby what? Lee's five six, by the way. At the time, he was he was uh, just ratchet. You know, he just wanted to get in there, right? And so <clears throat> we were kind of like you know, you know, skewing this guy away or whatever. And, and uh, he goes, "I'm gonna I'm gonna call the club and I'm gonna have you banned." And we were like, "Fuck you, get out of here!" And he left. And <clears throat> I would guess he called the club. I don't know, but when we were following. Weekend came around and the spots came out. I got more and better spots. It was almost like Mitzi Shore liked the controversy because her number one rule is the comic's always right. 
So if you walk into the comedy store and you're talking or heckling or trying to pick a fight or being disrespectful when a person's on stage being themselves, you're 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 always going to be in the wrong no matter what the comic says to you. You can say this comic can call your mom a cunt or whatever the hell. Uh-huh. Uh, Do you know my mom? <laughs> but uh, the comic's always right. So whatever happened. Wow. But my point is, is, is um, the lesson I learned was I should have been smarter and more wittier and intelligent than wanting to pick a fight with the guy. It's my fault. I shouldn't have done that. I, well, I, created I mean, it. it's nice to own your part. And yes, in a sense, you did create that. But A, it's a great story. <laughs> which is the most important thing. I mean, people have said story. people have said so many times it's when legendary when I it is a little bit, a little bit. I cleared out the whole belly room. How sad of me! No, it literally was like the a show stampede. Ended. The show ended. It was over. The night was over. It was like some Andy Kaufman shit. Yeah, <laughs> it was. it's true. And so that's always worth it. Firstly, but it's also good that you see, because at the time... I wouldn't repeat it. Well, although that's not you're true. an alta cucker now. You can't do that. can't be doing that shit now. You'd be like, oh, my hip. Yeah, um, well, there, there, was, there was one occasion in Vegas last year I was performing, and um, there was actually an Aussie guy sitting in the audience oh. at, the La- at the Laugh Factory with his girlfriend. He was like two seats. I could see him. He was right there. Have you been to the Laugh Factory in Vegas? Not the one in Vegas, it's no. a little intimate room at the Tropicana. Probably My friend's like playing there hundred. in a few weeks, actually. Who? Felicia. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's a fun room. And this guy started heckling me. You know, like halfway through my set, he was like, so when's the headliner coming up? And I was like, huh? And he's like, hey, hey, hey. And when's like, the headliner coming up? The headliner coming up. And he starts like, you know, razzing with his wife and they're kind of chuckling. They're like interrupting the show. And I was like, oh, that's fine. And I said something like, um, so you're Aussie, right? And he goes, yeah. And I said, so you're a criminal, right? And he goes, huh? I don't like that. Yeah, he didn't like that. So then there was right? this thing that went on for a minute and he just wouldn't like let go of it. And I was in one of those moods <laughs> where I just go, I go, hey man, I'll just box you. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, huh? And I said, we'll just go outside and box. As soon as I'm done, and see, we'll see who wins. One of us is going to win. It's going to be me for sure. I was talking to him like I was a fighter. I was like so insane. I'm, it's and adrenaline. People, oh, no, man, it's adrenaline. But the people, there's like tourists, you know, from all yeah. over America, maybe around the world for that matter, that are sitting there like, is this really happening? Or is this a, like, did they plant this guy? Is this a sketch? Is like, he a they shill? Know, they didn't know what was going on. And then... <laughs> Finally, he 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 shut up, and uh, his girlfriend was like, you know, and I said, are we good? Can I finish doing my job, like what I got hired to do? Or does everybody want to be a fucking comedian tonight? Uh-huh. I said, now do me a favor, take a deep breath, and shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up, right. And then the whole audience laughed, and I just went right into my material. But I just had to set the tone. You know, sometimes you have to yeah. set the tone, because they'll eat you up like wolves if you don't. And you know, you're, you, you've been on stage a million times. You know, it's like if you don't. And I started in Australia, and they are a lot tougher a there. A lot tougher. I've been in terms of being heckled and sure. stuff like that? Yeah. It's an aggressive, you know, audience sometimes. And well, so because they're drunk. Most of the time. I it's, mean, unless you get lucky and can do, like, a performing arts center or, like, that kind of thing. But if it's Even club, then, they yeah. came drunk. Trust sure. me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a country of drinkers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically what it is. Because... I spent three weeks yeah. there with Russell Peters. 
Yeah. He took me on tour with him in 2008, and it was the best, like, for sure, one of the best, if not the best touring experience I've ever had in my life. Oh, how lovely. Did you do the Melbourne Comedy Festival, too? We did do the festival. I've we, done we 50 went to, of those. Really? Well, no, just 10 or 8, 7, something like that. No, I don't really get invited to festivals, so, you know, I don't, and then when I try to go in, they, there's always a reluctancy, so, my career has always been kind of like... Speaking uh, of the Wild West, you have that kind of element of just like, I'm going to just go out and make it happen, and that's, that's very admirable. Well, I could never get anybody in Hollywood to, like, get behind me or represent me or, you know... They could only get behind you for one reason? The same reason everybody else gets behind right. anyone in Hollywood? right. But you could go, could I just had this thought about, like I'm fucking telling you how to do your act now. Tell me. I do have a tag for your Jesus bit, though. Tell me. Um, is uh, to just go with that uh, Arab cultural stereotype in the moment when they're bugging you. And to be like, I've, I've got a fucking bomb planted under your seat. Or like, just, you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> well. <clears throat> but that's um, kind of too easy in a way. Yeah, I mean, lately my material's been more, like, mainstream. Like, I'm still, I still touch on the Arab stuff, but it's more like being, you know, living in my, in Venice Beach, being single in my 40s, you know, uh, dating and... Crack addicts, dating crack addicts. Yeah, dating train train wrecks. Yeah. Um, But... um, But you could go, see, because you're a very smart comic. And a smart you. guy. Well, you should and represent so, me. <laughs> yeah. I need, I need my agent to say that to people. Well. A smart guy. You, but you are. And so I can see, for me, when I listen to your stuff and just what I've listened to, which is uh, probably a little bit old, it's a little out of date for maybe the act that you do now, but. By the way, you, just for the record. Yeah. For the podcast record. There is not one clip online that I have ever personally posted or anybody that I know personally has ever posted. Wow. Like That's most, almost like the Jennifer Lawrence nude leak. You must feel so violated. Well, no, it's like, I don't... <coughs> excuse me. Bless you. <coughs> Bless you. Sneeze for truth, we say Thank in you. Russian. Is that what it is? In the Russian tradition. Sneeze for truth. You're Russian-Australian Jew? Russian Jew from Australia, wow. yeah. Wow. No wonder you're a comedian. <laughs> no wonder. What the fuck else could I be? Seriously. Uh, run for president. But for so many years, I didn't do it. Anyway, yeah. go on. No, I was going to say um, that most comics will do a thing and they'll, they'll post it online. I just, I've never done that. I just never... But you have an album that's for sale. Well, that's different. Like, stuff that's out there that I did deals with, that's yeah. different. But I'm, saw, like, I'm talking, if you go to, uh, like, on YouTube... Mm-hmm. Um, there's like, you know, a few dozen, maybe more, I haven't even counted lately, but um, clips of different snippets and specials and things and interviews, and it's really fascinating to see what people are posting, and to see what people are saying. I actually stopped reading the comments on That's some of my clips. That's a very good move, see, considering, you know, you're in therapy. That'll send you to another 10 years oh, of therapy. Well, I got to a point where I, I started reading it and getting a laugh about like there's a joke that I do about um, that's online from my Comedy Central Access of Evil special where I talk about going to Dubai and there's a mosque and a nightclub right across the street from each other so right around 8 o'clock every night you hear the call for prayer Allah Akbar Allah and then you hear the Allah so all the Muslims are confused should I go pray should I go dance you know it's funny 
God or PDD. <laughs> I'd come back for God. I like PDD. So, <coughs> what's PDD? PDD. Oh, P. Diddy. Puff, Puff Daddy. P. I Diddy. thought it was P. Diddy, like a porn well, thing. Well, that was the, Sorry, that's that, was, that, that was the Arabic accent. <laughs> and and so, so um, that joke or clip from the special got posted online. <clears throat> and uh, a lot of bad things happened from that clip. I got banned from Dubai for a year uh, for doing, from doing public shows. Who now? Who is the authority that does that? I mean, is well, there a well? So real quick, let me just say about the comments, and I'll tell, you, tell you this story. I started reading some of the comments. That there's like 500 comments or more. And back then, when I was reading them a few months back, maybe almost a year ago, I'm not thinking about it. But some of them would say like, you know, it's mostly coming from Muslims. Ahmed Ahmed is uh, not a real Muslim. He's blasphemous toward Islam. Making fun of the religion is not good. Allah will have his wrath. <gasps> another, another. You one. didn't get a fatwa though. Another, another person writes, "It's a woman. Uh, somebody should slap him across the face. <laughs> he is spitting on uh, Islam and making fun of the religion, and it's not good for uh, the Muslims." Uh, La ilaha illallah. And then some guy writes, "How do I book you in Boston?" So <laughs> 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 <Swear laughs> God. So it's just like funny. Uh, thank God I've never gotten a fatwa in my head. I'm surprised I haven't actually. I'm surprised too, kind of. Well, there's I mean, a woman. They, do you know Golden? Yeah, the Turkish comedian. There's some stuff that she said in her act. I saw something online the other day. I was like, wow, that's very edgy yeah. for a woman who's a who's a Muslim. That's yeah. edgy. Yeah, I mean, my whole thing is this: <clears throat> like, if somebody kills you. Inshallah because, Allah. Because of joke. And like, let's say the killer gets caught. And he, you know, and they put him in jail. Right? So they're all sitting around in jail. So what do you do, man? Uh, you know, stole a car. And then, uh, <clears throat> you know, ran it into a pole and uh, a few people got hurt. What do you do? I robbed a bank. $500,000. Didn't get away with it. What do you do? I killed a comedian. <laughs> this motherfucker thought he was funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I whacked him. <laughs> He'll never laugh in this town again. <laughs> like, I mean, how absurd would that be? Like, yeah, but look what just happened in Paris. Are you kidding me? These people are fucking crazy. That, that, that's my point. It's like it's getting out of hand now, where it's Ugh. like you can't even joke about anything anymore. People are so fucking politically incorrect. It's like, you know, something magical or miraculous has to happen in order for like all that negativity to. You know, be pushed aside because people are just, <clears throat> and a lot of it's brainwashing. I think a lot of it's propaganda. The wrong propaganda is out there. The wrong kind of news is out there, brainwashing people through you social media. You go to media. Fox News. Do you ever watch Fox News? That's all they do is bash Arabs. Right. So and it's horrible. Funny. It's funny. I mean, but see, here's the thing: it's not anybody else's fault except for ours. It's up to Arabs and Muslims to you know, counter those stereotypes. We can't rely on Hollywood and the media to do it. They just won't. They never will. They never have. Well, that's why I'm saying to you what I started to say earlier about being a smart comedian is that I see you having a huge amount of power to do that. Hey, I'm, I'm trying. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's Stop a very, knocking uh, wood next to my microphone. It's for a, fuck's sake. Does that, isn't that good for the no. podcast? No. It keeps it in the moment. It's raw. Oh, is if, that what that is? Yeah. Okay. You, you just don't want me to touch your microphone. No, I just nice don't want to. I don't want the banging with the 
whatever. So, so when you're I'm listening, just being neurotic. I get it. <laughs> so when your listeners are listening, they're like, dum dum, dum dum. What was that? He's knocking on wood again. Yeah. Is that even a? Is that do Arabs do that? I didn't know Arabs yeah, knock yeah, on wood. Yeah. Russians do it yeah, too. Yeah. I think it's an international thing. That's like that's like when you're at a restaurant and you go like this. Make the check sign. <laughs> yeah, you make the check sign. Can I get my check? Yeah. So Arabs make the check sign. Who knew? I don't know what do Arabs do. Bring check. Bring check now. Bring check now. What do Jews do? Jews try to make don't, someone else pay. Yeah, don't bring the check. By the way, you know that stereotypes actually also very inaccurate. That Jews don't like to pay. Well, yes. I know. No, it is inaccurate because a Jew will actually take out and pay for the entire table if they can. Mm-hmm. But they just don't want to pay for something they didn't eat, or they don't want to. You know, like there's that neurotic like checking of the bill or whatever. You know Doug Williams, the comedian? Yes, yes. He has a joke. He has an awesome joke where he says when black people are cheap when they go out to eat, the bill comes, somebody's like, "Uh, who ordered gratuity? (laughs) (laughs) You almost spit your water Sounds like a stripper. (laughs) I did a spit take because it sounds like a stripper name. (laughs) Gratuity. Gratuity. Up next. Gratuity. So tell me about how you got banned from Abu Dhabi. How does that happen? Is there a central comedic betting authority? I was, you know, back in 2005, I was doing comedy shows in in Dubai. I I was doing some corporate events and stuff like that, mostly private stuff. And I linked up with this guy who was a producer at Showtime Arabia. And I was in town, you know, for a few days before and after my events and we were he was kind of showing me around Dubai and everything and I said uh, he said we should do a little you know uh, public show for you there's a little warehouse venue by the airport and blah 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 but you know we don't have enough time to get the permits you need permits and it's a whole process there there's a there's a I guess a what we call it a governmental organization called the DTCM Department of Tourism Merchandise and Culture and they approve and deny everything that comes through Dubai as far as entertainment is concerned. So it's, it's a process. So we didn't have time to do it. So he said, look, let me send out 12 emails. And uh, there's this little warehouse. We'll set up a makeshift stage and light and sound and see what happens. 450 people showed up. And it was all people my age and, you know, like American Arabs, but like young doctors and lawyers and dentists and business people. And then there was like... Iranians and expats and South Africans and and women, and women and people dressed as if you were in Paris or like M- Monte you know. Carlo or something. Yeah, it was very it's like, a very wealthy kind of yeah, country. Yeah, mini skirts and like very sexy, you know, serving alcohol, smoking. And I walked in, I was like, wow, this is incredible. So I went up on stage, I did an hour, and killed. And we taped it and we did a whole thing with it and whatever. And we both had this like aha moment. There's comedy in this part of the world. Nobody ever fucking knew. We we struck gold. And so I came back a few months later, and he got an approved show through the DTCM. And we did a show in the lobby of the Radisson Hotel that held about 150 people. Same kind of crowd. And when I came back this time around, <clears throat> we had just finished shooting our Access of Evil comedy special on Comedy Central. Levity Group Entertainment was the uh, company behind it. Triage, actually, Triage Entertainment, Levity Group, but Robert Hartman, Judy Brown. <clears throat> and who are the comics in the Axis of Evil? Myself, Aaron Cater, and Maz Jabrani. And then we had a fourth guy named Dino Bidala, but he was like just sort of added on on the tour. He didn't come to the Middle East with us the first time around. 
And I had asked Robert Hartman if I could get a copy of the DVD to show it to this producer at Showtime Arabia. He said, sure. Time code, very rough copy. I did these shows for 150 people in three nights, and I had a screen. It was really like literally a you know, PowerPoint presentation. I was a salesman, basically. <clears throat> I showed two clips of Aaron and Maz from the special, and then I went up and did, that were like, ten, like maybe 10 minutes each, and they were getting huge laughs just on the screen. Then I went up and told them about our, our show, Access of Evil, and then I did another 45 minutes and killed. Three nights in a row. On the third night, the CEO from uh, Showtime Arabia, this French guy, came down and watched the special, and he said, and he didn't even laugh the whole time. He just watched it. We showed it to him, you know, during the day, and we were just sitting there, 45 minutes go by, and he goes, let's buy it. Oh, my God. And they aired it. They were about to air it on Showtime Arabia in the Middle East, in all these countries, 300, maybe half a million viewers, subscribers. And that doesn't count all the people who download Showtime and Cable for free in the Middle East, which is probably another no joke. You know, maybe 50 million, 100 million. It's really easy to do it over there. Holy shit. <clears throat> There's 300 million people in the Middle East, so I'd say probably a good, you know, I'd say at least 50 million. So they're like secular Muslims? Is that what you would call them? Or yeah, people who just don't really practice. They drink, they smoke, they gamble, they have sex, but they don't eat pork. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they have their priorities straight. Right. Uh, the joke is, uh, but they fucked a few pigs. <laughs> <laughs> oh Only if it's their cousin. Stop it. <laughs> so, um, So right before they were going to air our special... I convinced Showtime Arabia to take us on a uh, four-country, five-country tour, like we would, you know, to do like a Wild West model, and and tape it as a special or a movie. And um, they did. They bought the idea. They would show our special, and then at the end, it would be me, myself, or Maz, or Aaron Cater saying. Hey, baby, Lebanon, we're coming to you, you know, December 3rd, 4th, and 5th at the Casino de Lebanon. Tickets are on sale. Check us out, right? So when we got to the Middle East, we sold out five countries, 27 shows in 30 days. Over 20,000 people showed up. We turned people away. Tickets were on the black market for like, you know, five, 600 bucks U.S. Wow. We were like the Beatles overnight. It was crazy. I remember we had taken Sebastian Maniscalco on a tour later on when we had become really sort of well known over there and we walked into this nightclub and people just treated us like we were the Beatles and Maz Giovanni and I walked up to the bar and Sebastian you know Sebastian mm -mm. He's, yeah. a, he's an Italian comic but really really funny uh, he walked up and he's looking at us and he goes who are you guys <laughs> and I was like he's like you guys are famous over here and we're like yeah we are access to evil special and blah 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 and he's like don't go back to the U.S. <laughs> Stay <laughs> like, here. What the fuck are Make you doing? Money. Yeah. So anyway, we did this tour. We shot it, and then they aired it as a twelve-part miniseries on Showtime. Mm -hmm. And so we were sort of like overnight successes in the Middle East. Then we broke up. We disassembled, and then I went back um, a couple extra times with Maz, and then went back by myself, and then we kind of just sort of 
you know, we haven't been back since. But <clears throat> there was a good, probably, you know, like five-year run in the Middle East where we were going over there making, I don't know, a couple million bucks doing stand-up for Arabs. Unbelievable. Who would have known? What and what? And about then I made a movie about it. Yeah, just like us. Just like I was us. Just about to ask you about just that. Just like us. The movie dot com. I took Whitney Cummings, Sebastian Maniscalco, Eric Griffin, uh, Maz Jabrani, Angelo Sarukas, Tommy Davidson, Omi Jalili, a couple of U.S. American comics did the New York section, but we went to Dubai, Lebanon, Egypt, Saudi. Same thing. We did twenty thousand people. I just shot it personally. A business partner of mine funded it. We shot it into a 72-minute documentary. Um, we're lucky enough to premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. Robert De Niro showed up. He's like, hey, I've been to Egypt. Wow. Was, that was a dream come true. And then we went to 30 uh, film festivals around the world after that. I would go and represent the film and do a Q&A afterward. And, um, and then we eventually sold it. It's on video on demand, Apple TV and... Um, it's on Showtime right now, on demand, and, and uh, it's a little, you know, mom and pop, you know, low budget documentary, but it's sort of Anthony Bourdain, you know, travel channel-ish, but with comedy as the backdrop instead of food. Right. If that makes any sense. And so how did you get banned from Abu Dhabi? We still didn't get there. So <laughs> after the Axis of Evil tour... <clears throat> The guy who originally, the initial guy that I met, the Showtime Arabia producer, who had put the tour together and was spearheading it, was even our tour manager, uh, had said it would be easier if I just collect all the money from the promoters and then we'll just pay you at the end of the tour. I said, great. So um, when the tour ended, they wouldn't pay us. Which happens a lot with comedians. Like we're always getting fucked over by promoters, and I don't, I don't tolerate that. So I was like, "Hey, man, you know." And like a month went by, a month and a half went by, two months went by, and it got to the point where he wasn't even returning my calls or emails. But this is in the Middle East as well, right? Which adds a kind of a level of complication. You can't even to proceedings, them. right? Well, here's yeah. here's here's what here's how I handle it. Because <clears throat> I'm Egyptian, and we just you know we're just like fuck it, let's just start a revolution <laughs> so I gave him one last straw I just said hey man you're you know you're gonna you know have to make me take other measures if you could, don't you know reply and then I had my lawyer follow up he ignored him so I sent him an email and I cc'd the CEO of the company on the email and I just ripped him a new asshole and I said we you know like backpacked around the Middle East for 30 days for you. You shot a thousand hours of golden footage. We sold to We made history. You know, we're not fucking donkeys. Pay us our goddamn money, you know, or else, you know, I'm going to fucking out you, basically. The CEO pulled him out of a meeting and said, what the fuck are you doing? Do the accounting and go pay these fucking guys. He got so wrapped up in, with his own ego, with his, with with the project itself, he didn't want to pay us for the actual tour that we did. We didn't even get paid for the TV show. They aired a 12-part miniseries. We never got paid for that. So it's like, really? You're going to do that? You're going to take intellectual property? I'll, tell, I'll show Ugh. you. But I'll show you something. Well, I won't show it to you. But in that closet right there uh -huh. is all the footage from the tour. I own it. 
Oh, that's good. I made them not only pay us, but I said, ship us the fucking footage, too. I want all of it. And they did. What is it on reel to reel? Why is it? Why do you indicate such it's on, a large it's space? On, it's on leaves. <laughs> no, it's, it's uh, written in high it, was two, it was 2007. It was uh, it was like little beta tapes back you know. in the olden days. Yeah, but uh, you know we can transform them and whatever. And yes, I'll use the content. But um, at any rate, he was so offended that I did that to him and, and humiliated by that. Uh, when I came back into the Middle East to do a, a tour or some shows by myself. He went down to the DTCM, showed him this clip of the joke that I do about the mosque and the nightclub in <gasps> Dubai, and said, look at this guy, he's blasphemous toward Islam, and he's, he's, he's making fun of Dubai, and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, rejected. What an asshole. But here's what happened. Coincidentally, I kept on getting booked to do private events, which I was allowed to do, not, oh, to, not okay. public events. Gotcha. So I was making 15, 20 grand for like a private event at the Four Seasons Hotel in front of 50 Arab millionaires and their wives were drinking black label, smoking cigars on the golf course, you know. You know what? And so I was... I've got to start going to Russia or something. <laughs> You're making me think. I'd show up and the guy who was like... the brought me over there. It was like, Ahmed Ahmed, thank you for coming to Dubai. How was your, fly, your flight? Was it good? You had them uh, good with the first class? They the nice. Good. They, they, they pick, you, uh, pick you up from the... Okay, good, good, good. Uh, so tell me... You want uh, whore? I get you whore. Uh, no, they wouldn't say that because it was too much of a high-end thing, but they would say, uh, is it true you're bad with Dubai? And I'm like, yeah, from public shows and whatever. And, you know, is that a problem? I'm sorry. If it's going to be He's like, no, no, no. Here, say whatever you want. You know? I love and so it. I go up on stage and say whatever I want. And then I, so I ended up making more money doing that than I did would have done public shit. Right. But then a year later, I went back to do a show. This is when I filmed Just Like Us, a company called Chill Out Productions in Dubai at the time was doing the first ever Dubai comedy festival. It's a three-day festival. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. And I remember. That, that part of my movie in Dubai is that festival. And so Kirk Fox came out. And, yeah. and Whitney was there and Tommy Davidson and, and Ami Jalili. And I love Kirk Fox Eric so Griffin much. and Sebastian. And, and so anyway, um, the promoter, when he was giving the DTCM the lineup and he, my name was on there, they said, uh-uh, he's not allowed in. And the promoter said, <clears throat> we're not going to do the festival unless he's in. He's our host. That's amazing. And they said, it's not going to happen. They said, no festival. He's bringing all the comics, and he's also the MC of the whole event. If you don't release them, you get no... Because for them, it's good for tourism. It makes Dubai look like a, 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 a you know a place that accepts things like comedy and arts and culture. And they're, they're trying to be more of a soulful city. Yeah, they're trying know. to differentiate themselves from some of the other Yeah, we do comedy, we do music. They have, they have the, yeah. the Dubai Jazz Festival every year. That's big. So, um, these Lebanese promoters who are friends of mine, who are the best business people in the Middle East, basically just like drew a line in the sand and the people played hardball and the people from the DTCM said, okay. And they accepted me. And next thing I know, I'm doing a hosting a show, you know, in front of 3000 people in Dubai again. So it was a cool kind of, and it's actually in my movie. I talk about it in my documentary, um, a little bit just to kind of explain the dynamic and things like that but uh well that has to be also a difficulty in trying to have a relationship you know is all the traveling 
I mean, on a personal level, it's like that was one thing that I never liked doing the road, which was a problem, um, you know, for me. Do you feel like you, it's, it's been a, an issue? Um, it, when I decided to be in relationships, it has been, but, um, there was a good, like, <clears throat> when I first started doing stand up, I mean, I probably had last like, century. Yeah. Well, I started in 94. Right. But I think that's when I started. I think we started around the, around same, the same time. time yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I was I, 17. Okay. So you were probably 21. I was 24. Oh, well then I must've started in 91. Right. Well, I made a decision that um, I was going to get married to stand-up comedy. Like I was, that's what I was going to be involved with. I didn't. I had this big picture of where I wanted to go as a comedian and as an actor, and I and I. <clears throat> I remember Mitzi Shore telling me later on, once I became a paid regular at the comedy store, she said, um, "Comedians who get married uh, when they're on their way never make it." Most, where was Mitzi when I needed her? Most of them. She said, if you look at all the people... Well, that, especially the women. Especially the right. women. Because then once you have kids, you're like, what are you going to go out every right. night? Right. What are you going to... I mean, it's just crazy. So, yeah. So, but there were a couple wow. relationships with girls that I kind of fell for. And, it, I, you know, kind of broke my heart. Three monthers, you know, like there was one that was like five months, whatever. But overall, the last like 15, 16 years, I never really wanted to be in a relationship. I had like... You know, most relationships never last more than eight months to a year with me because I wow. start, I start becoming so infected by my career again. It's, it's just like, you have to really, you know, date it or be with a strong woman who understands. She may not accept what you do, but she has to understand that that's how you make your money. You have to travel to fucking Idaho to do the fucking Idaho. Like, how to, about fucking Abu Dhabi? Or whatever. I, well, look, I, I've done all that stuff. Like I've done the international stuff, but now you know, <clears throat> I'm trying to, you know, through my agents and stuff and management, try to stay more U.S. based so I could build my, you know, build, I don't really have an audience here in the U.S. So it's like. But you have the television show that's got to help. And that character. Sullivan and Sons got canceled. canceled. Yeah, I didn't hear that. No, how would yeah, I hear that? Three months ago or so, uh, two months ago, yeah. I'm sorry, ago. that sucks. They didn't even tell us. They just, it was it really was released on deadline. <laughs> right, yeah. Like it's always like, nice there, to there find out on social yeah, media that yeah, your show was, got canceled. Yeah, it was weird, but whatever. It's a business. It's, not, it's nothing personal. But they, that, that part is written just for you. That must have yeah, helped. I mean, that was the first thing that's ever in my career as an actor that's ever um, been written for me in that um, big of a role. Like I've had people write things for me before, but it's just been like little things here and there. But this was a, you know, series regular on a, on a sitcom. Yeah. It's wonder. It was wonderful for all really you guys. Lucky. Yeah. I got really lucky. I was in the, I was in the right place at, at the right time. I, you know, my comedy chops and my confidence and my preparation and my discipline was all kind of in sync and ready to be a part of a team. But you never wanted kids. Let's finish with I, this because I, I need to know. I do want kids. I do want kids. I've, See, I've but there's no biological clocky lucky motherfucker. Well, no, there is actually. I'm 44. Mm -hmm. um, I know. I look fantastic. It's... I'm kidding. Seriously, <laughs> it's do, actually. stunning. Um, it's a stunning... I, I, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for the right woman. And, you know, there is no right time. But I am open to meeting, like, 
whatever you want to call her, soulmate or partner for life, whatever. Childbearer. Childbearer. Woman! With Know your place. <laughs> Guards, take her to the chambers. Bring me somebody new. Clothe her, feed her, shower her, and bring me somebody new. Oh, that sounds just like my love life. <laughs> what a coincidence. Uh, I've had a lot of failed relationships that I've learned what I don't want. Um, if I lock horns with a woman, she has to be like across the board. I'm not looking for perfection. There's no such thing as that. But no shit. But she has to be sane. <laughs> Define that. We are in Los Angeles, California. I, I meet and date a lot of insane women, like just women that just like. And maybe I'm. Maybe I don't get it. But Who's the common denominator here, Ashman? <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes I'll be talking to a gal about something and like. Over her head or like... Well, that's maybe, just a lack of intelligence. That's maybe. not... I'm just... I don't know where... I don't know where to meet them. Do I take the yoga class? Do I ride my bike? Like, what do I... I don't know. Like, do you bump into them at the fucking library? You just library? gotta sit at Intelligentsia. Get yourself a nice skinny hipster chick. I... I uh, All wired <clears throat> up on $9 coffees. I'm not looking. I'm open. And I'm just enjoying being... Really, honestly, just being by myself right now. I, I had a really bad uh, breakup that happened around this time last year and it kind of changed the whole course of my life for that part of my life so i'm just trying to be boy do i feel self-serving you have no you know? idea it's nice yeah. to just be selfish every once in a while it's nice to say no to things it's nice to not the way to... i put it is that i'm on a penis cleanse <laughs> you've heard of the juice cleanse yeah well i'm not yeah. necessarily on a vagina cleanse <laughs> i wouldn't say that but on the emotional and psychological level uh i'm just not too invested in um you know anybody right now because it's just it's an unclear place in my life if that makes any sense well you've just been i mean i just looked at your site you've got all these the tour dates coming out like you're busy i'm not that busy but i, I mean if you look <laughs> you're at busy it, to get laid right. no i mean no no it's like if you look at other comics like i was talking about this guy sebastian maniscalco yeah He's, i got this special on showtime it's a new special it's called aren't you embarrassed and you look at his calendar and it's like he's booked up through 2020. It's crazy. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm managing, I guess, to stay busy. I'm trying to have projects, you know, on the forefront so I don't arrive at a certain date and go, all right, you know, what's next? Mm-hmm. That's That happens in our business. If you don't plan, you know, <clears throat> June comes around and you're like, all right, uh, hmm, I don't have anything in the books. You know, especially as an actor, like you're always constantly yeah. relying on auditions and having that opportunity as a comic, you can work all year long, you know, you can create your own opportunities. You can actually get people to buy your show or push your product, whatever it's social media, your website, you know, I didn't have an agent <clears throat> for the first almost 12 years. I did stand up comedy. I had a website. And a lawyer. And I remember when I was getting a lot of my gigs in the Middle East, it, that's when that's when YouTube and Facebook, that's remember the whole, yeah, <clears throat> you know, it all sort of like was this sort of evolution, you know, monster of Everything internet. coalesced. Everything was available. Yeah. So, so the whole Middle East became available to the internet. And so suddenly they knew who Chris Rock was. They knew who Jerry Seinfeld was. They knew who Robin Williams was. <clears throat> and then... Those links would link up with other comedians, and then that's how we all, that's how it matrixed out. You know, if if you go online and you start clicking the certain clips, it takes you here, it takes you there. 
it's very interesting how it all kind of opened up the world, um, you know, not only with laughter, but just how we communicate, you know. Yeah. I don't know if that means anything. You better hurry up and have some kids. <laughs> well, what's the rush? I guess for you, there's no rush, but. I'm not bringing a kid into this world unless it's with the right woman. That's a good move. Because I mean, all your friends who were telling you like 10 years ago, oh, you should get married, man. They're all divorced now, I'm sure. No, all my friends are, well, <clears throat> one of them is, two of them are married. The rest have very serious girlfriends and uh, that they've engaged. And the rest are have serious girlfriends. There's two, me and one other guy in our circle that are still single. And, uh, is he a comic too? No, he's a producer. He's a producer and a director and we've been friends forever, but we're just not ready to hang up our guns. Right. <laughs> Good luck with that. I have more uh, territory to cover. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a cowboy. And on that note, <laughs> ladies, ladies, if you're looking for a little Middle Eastern lovin', you can find me uh, my, at my Ahmedahmed.com. My Twitter handle is at Ahmed Comedy. There you go. And uh, are you on the Insta? Instagram at Ahmed Comedy. A H M E D Comedy. Gotcha. Even your uh, Wi-Fi is Ahmed Comedy. Yeah. <laughs> it is all Ahmed Comedy. Keep it simple. I mean, there's only one of us out there, so. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of Ahmed terrorists or Ahmed suspect or Ahmed Somalian pirate or whatever. Terrorist number three. <clears throat> you should see my Google alerts. I get Google alerts every day. Oh, yeah. And um, 99% of them, I mean, unless I have something that I'm doing or promoting where I do like a newspaper article, 99.9% .9 of them are like bad people around the world <laughs> that are getting busted for shit. <laughs> I can't imagine what that's like. Uh, well... My name's associated with that, so it's not very fun. Well, as long as you're not a, an emotional terrorist in your relationships, that's what's important. <laughs> that's the problem. De-escalate. 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 Let's de-escalate. Like what you just heard? Subscribe to The MILF Code on iTunes and hear lots of fun, real, sexy talk with me, Susanna Briss. Enjoy. Enjoy.